Hi, listeners. Just a warning that this hustler uses some profanity and discusses some mature themes. My friend Michael had asked me to cut someone's hair, and when I went to the house and visited this guy to cut his hair, he was like so frail and emaciated and filthy. No one was really caring for him. You know, rotting food on the counter, people would drop off food or something, but that would be it. And when he said he didn't have anybody and he'd rather die alone on the floor than go back to the hospital, I just said, you know, it just came out of my mouth, do you want to come home with me? And he said yes, and I was like, oh shit, now what do I do? Like, we're in boxes. Welcome to episode 10 of Syracuse Side Hustles, a podcast that is exactly what it sounds like. We set out to find people in the Syracuse area who are doing interesting things on the side, and oh, did we find them. I'm your host, Lizzie Goldsmith, and this episode we're giving the microphone to Michael DeSalvo, a salon owner and activist. In the 80s, he witnessed the HIV-AIDS epidemic impact fellow members of the LGBTQ community, and he wanted to do something about it. So he co-founded Friends of Dorothy House. My name is Michael DeSalvo. I'm a hairdresser. I own a salon called Haranoia. And then the other work that I'm involved in is running Friends of Dorothy House. We are a safe space for many types of people. Mostly what we are known for is our work with HIV in regards to um, hospitality and doing emergency shelter, emergency food, hospice care, recuperative care, and helping people get better. Dorothy House is named after Dorothy Day, the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement. Michael abides by the Catholic Worker mantra, which is, live in accordance with the justice and charity of Jesus Christ. So does his partner. Nick Orth is my partner, both intimately and in the work we do at the house. In November of 2019, we will have met 30 years ago. He's the person who does everything from the cooking, the cleaning, and uh, construction work around the house, and giving people rides, and doing all the the hands-on stuff that comes up in the course of the day at the house. And Friends of Dorothy House has been around for over 27 years at this point. In those 27 years, Michael has housed more than 80 sick people. Around 40 of them have passed. More have healed. Countless others have come to visit. Since there was no place in 1992 that would take people dying of age, which is why the clinic and the hospital just continued to call us with the next one and the next one. And then, you know, we still had all this work to do on the house. So someone would die and the next day we'd be ripping out walls and get a project done and then take someone else again. And one day it was bikers and the next would be drag queens. And then it was like, you know, Puerto Ricans and Latinos. And we had to constantly adapt, like the food we were cooking, the music we were listening to, like everything was constantly like, okay, we're creating the space that they, you know, if they're Muslim, we get a prayer rug, we'll get them, you know, do what we gotta do, cook the halal. So there is no typical day. And sometimes his days are further complicated when his work at Haranoia and at Friends of Dorothy House intersect. When one of his clients at the salon was getting married, he had a tough decision to make. I have to plan this wedding for like two years and it was a big, big deal, you know, big wedding. And I had um, said to her the night before, our guest is 
really close to dying. And I may not be able to do your makeup and hair tomorrow. I, I did it for the rehearsal dinner. I said, but if he's dying, you know that I can't leave him. But someone in the salon will take care of you, don't worry. But you know, she started to cry. She was like, oh, I really want you to be there. So here we have someone dying. I had promised her that I would at least try to see her walk down the aisle. I was here at the house and I said to Nick, I'm gonna go, you know, he might die while I'm away, but I'm gonna go. Right before he left for the wedding, he went to say goodbye to the dying guest, whose mom was with her son for his last moments. When I walked in, she was like looking at his fingers and his body, and she uncovered his feet, and she was looking at his feet. It was her baby, you know? And I know parents do that when babies are born, too. They just look at them and stuff, you know? And she was doing that. So I went, and I walked into the back of the church, and there was Eva preparing her daughter, fixing her veil, just tending to her. And I had just left this other mother tending her child. I completely lost my shit. For Michael, his faith is a significant part of his identity as both an activist and a gay man. My faith is about action. And um, I kind of feel this way, like, you know, there's probably one God and it's like phones. Some people use AT&T, some people use Verizon, people use T-Mobile. It's the same thing. I grew up Catholic. Um, my father connected Eastern philosophy with his Christianity. So I wasn't raised in a fire and brimstone kind of household at all. And then, of course, you know, struggling with my own sexuality and who I am within the church. It's not like I just see it, I feel it. And it, you know, it triggers and brings back those feelings and memories. His faith, though, also allows him to recognize the privileges that he and other white Christians have. We all carry these stigmas in us. We've all acted it out. We manage it, I think, much better some of us, but to deny that it's not there is, I don't think, very honest. And I think especially white Christians are very good at turning people into their projects and hobbies instead of their brother and their sister. Even because they have less does not make them less. I have to check myself around it all the time. I don't leave myself out of that. Like I'm constantly checking myself. But I don't think I could do what I do without my faith. I think it really does um, motivate and keep me on a path, but at the same time, to be honest with myself and realistic enough to not have this self-righteousness where, like, I know it all. Right now, Michael is taking his faith and activism to Friends of Farm Workers, a home for immigrant farm workers and their families. When the Catholic Worker House was going to be turned into office space in the summer of 2018, Michael bought the house to keep it for hospitality. People publicly disagreed with him about the house's use. Friendships ended. Michael stood with the workers. Now, he and Nick are helping restore the house for the families. Nick and myself are not loyal to like social status or friendships and prestige, any of that stuff, but we were loyal to justice. I'm still angry about everything that happened, but I have come to a point of being grateful because 
They pushed me, my friends, my church, my social justice community, pushed me to do things I never thought I had, and I never thought I could stand up to my mentors and the people that I loved and trusted and learned so much from. Sometimes we move past them, our mentors, and people will do that with me. I'm sure the younger people that have looked to me, you know, when I mess up or something, they're gonna be like, I've outgrown you. Good, keep growing, keep moving, make it better. So I look at this house as a form of reparation. I don't plan on keeping it. Like once it's paid for and once the work is done, I want to give it to the workers. They are capable, they are competent, they are strong. Nick took his lead abatement classes, so he's gonna be able to do the work. It'll save us a ton of money. We dumpstered over the tile in the bathroom and in the you know front hall, the woodwork around the doors. We ripped out of old houses before they tore them down. And we know how to do this, you know, and do it without a lot of money. And today, a lot of our work, people always focus on like how many people do you have in the house? And today, people don't need us in the same way. Um, we have always taken in the undocumented and the people that the other agencies wouldn't help because of their status. So, I mean, this isn't new to us. We started out that way. Michael knows that this grassroots activism is rarely easy or convenient. But whether it's holding someone's hand as they're dying, giving families a place to stay, or handing over the keys to the next generation, it's a part of who he is. And sometimes I'm here, and sometimes I'm over there, and sometimes I'm on the front line, and sometimes I'm holding up what the others need to do their activism. So I think being an activist has many different hats. I think what is most important is to always be trying to tell the truth. We're all going to make mistakes and we all stumble, but the most important thing, I think, for activism is to get back up and keep going and keep trying and then recognize that it's never done. The work is never done. Right now, Michael is working with the Worker Center of Central New York on Greenlight New York, Driving Together, an initiative to help people get driver's licenses, regardless of immigration status. Michael is hoping that people realize that national immigration issues affect Syracuse residents. On the last Wednesday of each month, you can find Michael at Friends of Dorothy House Dinners, where all proceeds support their mission for justice. Donate what you can and enjoy a community meal. The dinners will resume in September. You can find out more information through their Facebook page, Friends of Dorothy House. You've been listening to Syracuse Side Hustles. I'm Lizzie Goldsmith. This episode was written and produced by Patrick Linehan and Ellie Coggins with additional help from Lizzie Goldsmith, Taylor Bradford, and Imani Glee. Opening music was composed by Eric Sargent. You can find out more about Michael DeSalvo and his work, and see what those monthly dinners are like at SyracuseSideHustles.com.